And good morning, Redeemer. Redeemer family, it is so good to see you. Uh, if you're visiting, welcome. It, it is really great to have you here. Uh, my, my name's Morgan Renew. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, it's my privilege to uh, bring God's Word to you today as we uh, remember uh, the Christmas story. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us. And when you speak to us, you give us hope. So show us yourself today. Show us ourselves more clearly. Uh, fix our hearts, our minds on Jesus the Saviour and help us to respond as we ought. Lord, it's in Jesus' good and great name that we pray. Amen. Well, I have a favourite photo, a favourite family photo. Yet it's not printed out on my desk, it's not hanging uh, on our wall, and I'm not going to show you it now, even. Uh, this photo uh, has some of my kids in tears, some of my kids with giant smiles, most of my kids in a pile on top of me on the couch. And this, this is precious to me because it reminds me of a moment of great joy on the 2nd of November, 2021. At that point, it had been almost two years of COVID. And to those two years of COVID, the borders of Australia had completely closed. When we moved to Dubai, we knew we were away from home, but once the borders closed, and it was impossible to go in or out of Australia, it suddenly felt that much further away. As we heard news from family and friends, they might as well have been on the moon it was so far. For almost two years, we were waiting, longing, when might we see our family and friends from Australia again? But at the beginning of November 2021, the Australian government changed the rules. Tickets became available. And that day, the 2nd of November, when the photo was taken, was just as I told my kids that we've got tickets, we're heading to Australia in a few weeks' time. You might have experienced a moment of joy like that. And a long wait was over. The thing you felt would never come, it was finally here. Well, many of you may be waiting for a moment like that. Waiting for the moment when you'll get news about that job, that sickness, that family member. Many of us are waiting for a moment like that. Yet today as we come to God's Word, I want us all to know that we have a reason to rejoice because God's salvation is here. We'll, we'll hear of that first Christmas, a, a day of salvation, a day of rejoicing in uh, really a family photo. We'll, we'll get a picture of the family of Zechariah and Elizabeth and a day of joy in their family and that's going to point us forward to the joy, the hope we can have, is because God's salvation is here. But firstly, we'll see uh, in the family of Zechariah and Elizabeth that the time has come, so rejoice. After a time of discipline and silence, God has kept His promises, and it's time to rejoice. To understand uh, this family and what happens in these verses, we need to look back to earlier in Luke chapter 1. 
because an angel had appeared to this family. An angel had given them good news and made great promises uh, for which they had been waiting. In Luke chapter 1 verse 6, we were, taught, we were introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're both from the family of, the, the family of priests in God's people. Uh, Zechariah himself was a priest. We're told in verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So here we meet two godly old saints of the Lord. Uh, We're told that they are walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They weren't perfect, they weren't sinless, yet they trusted God, they trusted His promises and they were waiting. This godly couple were waiting for the promises of the Lord, seeking to love Him, to obey Him. Even though at that point in Israel's history, God hadn't spoken to them in 400 years. It had been 400 years of silence, yet they'd waited, waited for the Lord to keep His promises, waiting for the Lord to speak. It wasn't just for God's people they were waiting. For many years, this couple had waited for a child, but that child never came. Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both advanced in years. But after years of waiting, waiting for God and His promises, after years of waiting, could we have a family? Will our name endure? Well, an announcement comes. Verse 13, while Zechariah is on duty as a priest in the temple, we're told an angel appears to him and the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. After years of waiting, after years of praying, after years of sorrow and grief, the Lord had given them this desire of their hearts, a baby. But not only that, God had answered their greater longing, their greater prayer. For this child was going to have a purpose in God's plans. We're told, uh, many, he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 400 years earlier, just before God had stopped speaking to his people, He'd made these promises of one like Elijah who would come and turn the hearts of his people. God told Zechariah, the moment is here, the waiting is over. You will have a son and God will keep his promises. But Zechariah didn't believe. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife has advanced in years. Now, Mary, uh, earlier in this chapter, had asked a similar question, yet had been commended uh, by God. Here, Zechariah seems to ask without faith. He seems to want proof. 
He doesn't believe the Lord is really doing this. So the man who for years had been patiently waiting for God to keep his promises, for years had been patiently praying that he could have a son, when the Lord's angel appears and tells him, well, he doesn't believe. The angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. God does give him a sign that he's going to keep his word, uh, but he also gives him a time of discipline. He says, you didn't believe. You You were all about trusting the Lord's promises, but when I told you they were happening, you wouldn't believe it. So he won't speak and he enters this time of waiting, nine months of waiting, nine months of silence, being unable to speak. And today's passage begins at that nine-month ends, where after a time of discipline and silence, God has kept his promises, so it's time to rejoice. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. God's promise nine months earlier was being fulfilled against all hope, against all chances, against all human wisdom. This old barren couple were given a son. And where God had told them that many would rejoice with them, now their neighbours, their family came around them and many rejoiced. God had kept His word. But as God kept his word, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they want to keep God's word too. On the eighth day, in verse 59, uh, they came to circumcise the child. And they, the neighbours and family, uh, would have called him Zechariah after his father. Now this was the convention. This was tradition. This was their culture. In that culture, you, you named Zechariah's son, well, Zechariah Jr. And for this family especially, a couple who for all of their life, they'd been that couple that didn't have kids. They'd been that couple who were barren. They'd been that couple whose family name wouldn't continue. Now was their chance. Now they, they, their name could continue. There could be a Zechariah Jr., must have been lots of pressure from the family, lots of expectation from the relatives from the community. But his mother, Elizabeth, answered, no, he should be called John. Because God had told them that the baby would be born. God had told them what the baby's name would be, John. And to Elizabeth, God's word was non-negotiable. No, he should be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. For Zechariah, God's word was non-negotiable. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. After a time of discipline and silence, God had kept his promises, so it was time to rejoice. This was an amazing day in the life of this family. 
where after years of barrenness, of waiting, they were given a son. And even in this family's example, we, we, we can learn some lessons. We can learn about leaning into the Lord's discipline. Zechariah had just come out of nine months of the Lord's discipline. He was meant to be the priest of God. Yet when God appeared to him, he failed to believe. He was meant to be the priest of God, yet he'd been able to, unable to speak for nine months. There must have been shame, embarrassment, as he saw the baby grow in his wife's tummy. He must have wanted to speak to her, but frustration that he couldn't. While it was a time of anticipation and excitement, it was a time of discipline. But it seems that Zechariah didn't let that discipline send him away from the Lord in bitterness. But he let that time of discipline draw him to the Lord. As he looked to the Lord, I'm sure he meditated on his promises. The Spirit used those nine months of silence to show Zechariah wonderful things in his word. The Spirit used those nine months of silence... uh, to prepare Zechariah. The Spirit used those nine months of silence so that when Zechariah did open his mouth, you'd have something wonderful to say. So friends, if you're in a time of waiting, make sure you use that time of waiting, not to drift from the Lord, but to go to the Lord. Even if you feel you're in a time of discipline, a time of hardship that might be from the Lord, Don't let your heart grow bitter, but trust Him. Use that time of waiting to to go to Him, to lean further into His promises. Even if the pain is in feeling like God's promises will never be fulfilled, lean into God and His promises. Because God uses those times of waiting, God uses those times of discipline to shape us, to grow us, and even to prepare us for good works. And there's something immediately that Zechariah would need to do. He was prepared to resist the pressure from his family, from his community, uh, to obey God's Word. You know, times of birth, weddings and funerals, that's often where the expectations come from family, from from community. Uh, Yet here... Uh, at the birth, where all the expectation comes on, well, both Elizabeth and Zechariah are firm in God's Word, and God's Word is non-negotiable. I love how quickly Elizabeth says, no, his name's John. (laughs) You might have all kinds of family traditions, but if God's Word has said otherwise, then we're sticking with God's Word. That itself is a good reminder for us. There are places where you will go, where you know you'll be faced with expectations, with pressures. Maybe when you go home and you see family or community there. Maybe young people, maybe it's when you go out with your friends, you know there'll be expectations there. How can you use that, the time before then, to lean into God and His Word, so that when you get there, God's Word will be non-negotiable? There are things we can learn from this family, but the biggest thing we can learn from this family is actually not about them. The biggest thing about this family is that they point to something bigger. 
Zechariah, after all, is a priest who's meant to represent Israel. And if we look back at his story, we'll see that what's true of Zechariah and his family is actually true for all the people of Israel. After a time of discipline and silence for Zechariah, well, God kept his promises and it was time to rejoice. But after a time of discipline and silence for all of God's people, God had kept his promises and it was time to rejoice. Zechariah had waited nine months for this fulfillment, but God's people had been waiting thousands of years. God's promise to Abraham that he would bless all nations through them. God's promise to Moses that he would raise up another one who would speak God's word. God's promise to David that he would raise up a king who would reign forever. God's people had been waiting thousands of years. Zechariah had had nine months of discipline. Well, God's people had been under the discipline of the Lord for a long time. They'd obeyed, they disobeyed, so they'd been driven out of the land. They'd disobeyed, so they had lost the Lord's presence among them. They'd been under discipline. And though they'd come back to their land, spiritually, they were still wandering under discipline. Zechariah had gone through nine months of silence. Well, God's people had just endured 400 years of deafening silence with the Lord not speaking. The Lord not sending any visions, any prophecies. Yet both for Zechariah and for God's people, at this moment, the time of waiting was over. And this time of waiting, discipline and silence, for both, was broken by the birth of a baby. John and his family, their son, it was the son John, for God's people, there would be John, but there would also be the baby Jesus. The time had come, so it was time for this family, it was time for all of God's people to rejoice. And they could rejoice because God had visited His people with salvation. That's our second point. God had finally come, bringing His promised salvation to His people so that they might serve Him. So God's people had been ruled by enemies for many years at this point. 722 BC, uh, Assyria had come and destroyed most of the nation of Israel, all the northern tribes. 587 BC, Babylon had come and taken the, re the remaining tribes into exile. After Babylon, they were under the rule of Persia, then of the Greeks, now they were under the rule of the Romans. So like they were always under the rule of enemies, never free to serve the Lord. But God said at this moment, God has finally come, bringing His promised salvation so they might serve Him. We see that God has visited and redeemed His people. Verse 67, His father Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He's visited and redeemed His people. And these are familiar words for God's people. Uh, it, the Old Testament speaks of God visiting and redeeming His people as He came to save them, particularly as He saved them from slavery in Egypt. Yet now, 
God's going to visit His people in a new way, in actually becoming one of His people, in actually coming to earth as a baby, visiting His people, redeeming His people, taking on a whole new meaning as God comes to us. And God visits and redeems His people. As He does that, He keeps His promises. We see God is keeping His promises to David. Verse 69, He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be safe from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. David had spoken of the day when God's King would reign, where they'd be free from the oppression of their enemies. They'd been longing for that day, waiting for that day, being subject to kingdom after kingdom, empire after empire, yet they were told, now is the day, God has come, God has visited His people. He's kept His promises to David. Not only that, He's kept His promises to Abraham. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham. God's promises go back even before David to Abraham. And it's in this baby, in this salvation that is dawning, God is keeping His promises. And what are all of His promises? Well, it's to save His people that they might serve Him. Verse 74, this is to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. For all of time, God had been promising, I'm going to deliver you from your enemies, I'm going to save you. Why? so that you can know me, so that you can serve me, so that you can live your lives without fear in holiness and righteousness all your days. 1,500 years earlier, when God had visited and redeemed His people from Egypt, God spoke through Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, that they might serve me in the wilderness. Ever since then, God had been working to deliver His people, that they might serve Him and live for Him. Yet they've been waiting, waiting to serve Him, waiting to to live for Him, feeling that we want to serve the Lord, we want to live without fear, but these nations that are oppressing us, they make it so hard. How can we focus on serving the Lord when we're just trying not to, trying not to be killed by the 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 Egyptian guards. How how can we try to serve the Lord when this nation is over us or that nation's over us? But God insists through this song uh, that He is keeping His promises. He's working to rescue His people from the hands of their enemies that they might serve Him without fear. But He's going to do it through two babies, He's going to bring a surprising Lord with a surprising salvation. And we see that as John prepares the way for the Lord. This is our third point. John will prepare the way for the Lord 
as salvation dawns on God's people. Verse 76 says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. This is like a job description for John. Uh, John will be the prophet of the Most High, and the job of the prophet of the Most High will will be to point to the Son of the Most High. If we've read through Luke chapter 1, It might be familiar, that phrase, most high, because the angel told Mary that her son, Jesus, would be the son of the most high. So the prophet of the most high will point to the son of the most high. He will go before the Lord. And all of this is something that God had promised. Just before that 400 years of silence, through the prophet Malachi, God had spoken promising a messenger who would come before the Lord. In Malachi 3.1, we're told, Behold, I send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Malachi 4 verse 1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. That day that is coming shall set them ablaze, saith the Lord, so that It will leave neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Behold, I'll send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. God had promised a messenger who will come before the Lord. And here we're told that messenger is here. The time is here. In the past at Redeemer, we've, we've spoken of John the Baptist and his role a bit like a driving instructor. You know, if you're learning to drive, you might have a driving instructor sitting next to you and they'll give you observations or give you instructions. But what will happen if you turn to the driving instructor, uh, you look them kindly in the eyes and say, thank you for that advice. What will they tell you? Don't look at me, look at the road. A good driving instructor doesn't want the attention on them. A good driving instructor is helping you to look in the right place. They're saying, look ahead, look for what's coming. John's role would be to go before the Lord to say, look, here is the Lord. John's role would be the prophet of the Most High to say, look, here is the Son of the Most High. Those who had read Malachi might expect that, well, this messenger will come, he'll come in great triumph, he'll come with great ceremony, and that he will then point to the coming of the Lord, this great and mighty victory where the Lord finally descends on on his city. But John came, the messenger of the Lord came, the one after Elijah came, well, as a baby. And even more surprisingly, the Lord he would point to, the Lord he came before, the Lord he was telling everyone to look at, he too would be coming as a weak baby. It was Elizabeth who in in last week's passage uh, exclaimed when Mary visited her, why would the mother of my Lord visit me? This family realised that the Lord was coming 
the one to be born, Jesus. And John will prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, But as we have a surprising Lord, He's going to come as a baby, we also have a surprising salvation. Lots of this song so far sounds like, as God's salvation arrived, it must mean it's time to throw over the Romans. No more Greeks, no more Romans, no more enemies out there. Finally, we'll be free to serve God. But here, as the role of John and the role of Jesus is explained in this song, we'll see there was a much greater victory coming. There were much greater enemies that were to be defeated. Verse 76 says, You, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. People expected that the messenger would come and point to a great victory, defeating all their enemies. And a victory is coming. Salvation is coming. The defeat of great enemies is coming. But who are the greatest enemies? What is it that keeps us from serving the Lord without fear? Well, it's no earthly army. It's no earthly government ultimately holding us back from serving the Lord. It's no earthly circumstance. Our enemies, which hold us back from serving God without fear, they are sin and death. And here we're told that the Lord is here. God has visited His people with salvation. God is throwing off your greatest enemies. And He's doing that as He brings forgiveness of sins, as He shows His mercy, and as He delivers us even from the shadow of death. John came to point to the coming salvation. John prepared the way of the Lord For God had visited His people with salvation. He was working to deliver them from their greatest enemies, sin and death. So it was a new day. Verse 78 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's people had been in darkness for hundreds of years. Humanity has been in darkness since the first sin of Adam and Eve. We've been subject to sin and death. Yet on this day, God, through the Spirit, sang this song that salvation was here. The time was over. God has visited His people. He's delivered us from our greatest enemies, sin and death, so that we're finally free to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days.
And if that was true on this day, if it was true even before the baby Jesus had been born, before Jesus was born, before Jesus lived the perfect life, before Jesus died for us, before Jesus rose again, if this was true then, that salvation was here, that it was time to rejoice, then how much more for us? Because the Saviour has come, God has visited us. The Saviour came, He visited us, He lived the perfect life, He died for us, He rose again. We now see how He has brought the forgiveness of sins, how God has showed us His mercy, how He's given light to those who sit in the shadow of death. Because the Saviour came, we have hope. There is forgiveness for our sins. Because the Saviour came, death is not the end. Because the Saviour defeated death. Friends, salvation is here. For all of us who know Jesus, salvation is here today. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There may be many things that worry you in this world. As we watch the news, there are many things that are concerning. What will happen in our world next year? What will happen in our world in the coming years? There may be many things in your lives that worry you. Many things you're waiting for, praying for, longing for that don't seem to come. Friends, we're still waiting for the fullness of what God has promised the day when He'll wipe away every tear. Yet today we can declare that salvation is here because God has visited us. He's defeated our greatest enemies. So we are now free to serve Him. And friends, because salvation is here, oh, we should do a few things. Because salvation is here, we should be reconciled to God. If you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Saviour, I want you to know that your greatest problem uh, is not anything in this life. Your greatest problem is not your government. Your greatest problem is not your job or your financial situation or your relationship issues or your boredom. Our greatest problem is our sin, our sin and, and death. Yet a Saviour has come, a Saviour has come who can forgive you all of that sin, set it as far away as the east is from the west. A great problem of death that every one of us faces, that none of us can escape. God has defeated, Jesus has defeated death. All who trust in Him will rise with Him. God is reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So if you've not trusted Jesus for salvation, if you've not called on Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you can do it today because today is the day of salvation. Friends, salvation is here, so we are new creations. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. As Jesus was born, the dawn of salvation came. The light began to shine. And that light continues to shine. Today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' life, death and resurrection, the new creation has begun. 
the new creation where we will serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness forever and ever. But friends, if you're in Christ, then you are a new creation now. You're a part of that new creation now. You can begin to serve the Lord now. He's already freed you from those greater things you feared, your sin and death. For those who are in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you're in Christ, know that you are a new creation, that salvation is really here. You're free to serve Him. And because salvation is here, well, your life is not about you. I think the Baptist family are a great example of this. I know Baptist wasn't John's surname, it was his title, but you know the Baptist family, there's John, and then his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. A wonderful trait of this family is that they realise that it's not about them. John's very role is to point away from himself to the Lord, to go before the Lord. He's saying, don't look at me, look at the Saviour. His parents were no different. As Elizabeth, after decades of barrenness and hurt, finally had this wished-for son, she realised that this wasn't just a moment about their family, she realised that this was about God and His Word. And as Zechariah sang, he declared this was not just about his family. He realised his family, his life, was about God's great purposes. So friends, your life is not, not just about you. God has given you life that you might glorify Him. Friends, you're not in Dubai for you. You might have thought you came to Dubai for a job or to make money or, or to get ahead or for another reason. But God has you in Dubai for His purposes. Your money, your money is not your own. God entrusts us with money, with possessions that we might glorify Him, that we might use, use our stewardship for the sake of His purposes. Your job is not just so that you might be provided for. Your job is not just so that you might get an identity. God's put you in your job to serve people for God's glory. God's put you in your job that you might shine as a light, that you might be a part of the salvation that has dawned, that God is spreading to all nations. Even your family is not about you. God gives us family, God gives us relationships for the sake of His name. This time of Christmas, it can be easy to say, oh, Christmas is all about family. You can't argue with that, right? Christmas is all about family. We hear it everywhere. But it's not. Christmas is about Jesus. So let's let even our families, let, let's let the next week not just be about our enjoyment or our family. How can you invite others in to experience hospitality and love? As you go out this week, how can you not just look forward to a longer weekend maybe, but how can you be God's instrument to draw others into His salvation? Because salvation has dawned, the time has come, God is reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. 
So if you've come to trust in Him, well, you are a part of His purposes and God is working through you. Finally, if salvation is here, then rejoice. Sing. Christians have always been singing people. In about 120 AD, a British, uh, not a British, a Roman governor named Pliny the Younger wrote a letter to the emperor of the time. And we've got a copy of this letter. And in the letter, he was describing this new sect called Christians to the emperor and trying to describe what they did. And Pliny said, this group is in the habit of meeting each week before dawn to sing songs to Jesus as to a God. He was trying to explain, like, who are Christians, what do they do? If nothing else, Christians are singing people. Friends, we should be singing people because we have a reason to sing. We are singing people, we sing like the world doesn't because we have a reason to rejoice. God has visited us. He has brought His salvation. There is the offer of forgiveness of eternal life for anyone who would trust this Saviour. Salvation has dawned. Today is the day of salvation. So friends, we have great reason to rejoice. Let's pray and then we will lift our voices to praise our Saviour Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you. I thank you that you did not leave your people in darkness, you did not leave this world in darkness, that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in darkness, a light has dawned. Father, thank you for your Saviour, Jesus, that in your perfect timing, you sent your Son to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us. That we, being delivered from the hands of our greatest enemies, might serve you without fear in holiness and righteousness before you all our days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.